Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. Welcome to episode 90 of the Gateworld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. Really? 90 already? 90. We're talking about Stargate 90 times over. 10 more till 100. That feels good. Feels very good. Two nerds talking about Stargate, and this week it's Stargate Universe episode 17 titled Pain, which I just finished watching uh, a few moments ago. I can't believe there's three episodes left this season. But before we get into that, there is some science fiction news. I don't know if you've been following this at all, but this week is uh, the, the upfront presentations for the networks, where they announce definitively what's canceled, what's been picked up, what's been renewed for... Yeah the next season. Have you followed any of the, the sci-fi show news? I have been, except for Legend of the Seeker, you know, we've been, we've been keeping an eye out for Legend, and I was looking every week, and then it was canceled, and I'm still so disappointed, but I was blown away that V was renewed. V was renewed, yeah. Blown away. I think you said on this podcast that you thought that it was going to get canned, okay. and I think everybody kind of did. Yeah, it hasn't done well at all this year. I am about two episodes behind, and and I am enjoying the show. Uh, the production values are really high. But, I, you know, if they said it was canned, I wasn't really going to be all that disappointed. I was, but I wasn't going to be extremely disappointed. Um, and it's, it's renewed. So I hope, you know, I, I hope that, that, uh, that there's some resolution to it in Season 2 in the event that uh, it doesn't get picked up. So 26 episodes, uh, not too bad. I don't know how long the original one ran, though. Well, yeah, it got picked up for the 13-episode season two. Yep. What do you think about that? Well, there's 13 in the first one, isn't there? Yeah, but it's uh, it's shorter. I mean, it's like a half-season order, basically. If it means that each episode will be fantastic, good. That's yeah. That's what I care about. Yeah. Doctor Who does about that length. Sanctuary does that length. Uh, except season three, I think Sanctuary got a 20-episode order. So that will be interesting to see how that reflects on the quality. I've only seen the first four of mm-hmm. V, the mm-hmm. four that aired last fall. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it. It didn't blow me away. But I'm definitely looking forward to, to picking it back up and watching the rest of the season. Yep. I think that the fact that it got renewed speaks very well of uh, science fiction on non-network television. I was pretty worried going into this next season because, you know, we've got other shows that were canceled, and there's not a whole lot of new stuff on the docket. There's a new show that I'll probably check out uh, called No Ordinary Family with Michael Chiklis, which mm. is kind of a, a lighthearted superhero show. Mm. Um, but Smallville's back for season 10, which is probably going to be its last, a lot of people are thinking. It's going to break uh, Stargate's record. Yeah, it's going to break Stargate's record in terms of the number of episodes produced. Uh, Heroes was on the bubble, and Heroes did not get renewed. It's done at four. Do not care about heroes. I've, I've said, oh, what, 50 episodes ago now? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I said, I watched the first season, and I got to the end of it, and I said, okay, I've about had enough of that. That was nice, but I don't want to watch it anymore. And, yep. um, you know, I, I friends have told me about the mythology and where it's gone, and they've I've allowed them to, because I have no intention of watching it, I've allowed them to tell me some of the plots. I'm like, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Have fun with that, you know? But that's about it. So, mm-hmm. no. Season two, the strike shortened season, was definitely a disappointment, I think. Coming off of a really successful first season, they weren't really quite sure what to do with this show, what to do with the premise to make it, it sort of long-lasting. Mm-hmm. I mean, the original idea for the show was to sort of kill off a bunch of characters and, and constantly be bringing in new heroes. And sort of the theme of the show was new, new characters doing this self-discovery thing. Mm-hmm. Um, But I enjoyed season three. I enjoyed season four a little bit more, probably. Um, But, but yeah, I think the show never really managed to recapture that magic. Um, So I'm satisfied. I thought the end of season four was satisfying. It's despite the fact that it's left with to be continued. I think they should have left that to be continued card off the end of the show, and it would have been sort of a satisfying full circle conclusion. Mm. So I'm not terribly disappointed to see it go, but, uh, but it was a good show while it lasted. The main discussion. Pain is our main discussion topic this week, episode 17 of Stargate Universe. And this is, uh, this is what we call a bottle show. This is, Most uh, definitely. 
a ship-based show with our, our standing sets. No guest stars except for the tech. Yeah, I and I finished the episode, and I was like, you know, this is definitely a, a cost-saving episode, despite the fact that there are some great visuals of the uh, aliens in there. And I and I think that this is probably going to be my my lowest rated out of the back half, despite the fact that it's that I thought it was uh, extremely good. Lots of psychological exploration for for several of our characters. Um, we get a, a tick stuck to the back of your neck, and we basically get to learn what makes you tick. Badoom boom. <laughs> oh, gosh, that was terrible. Uh, no, it uh, brings out your your uh, fears, emotions. It's not necessarily negative for everyone, but but it was for a, a lot of people, it's just some some psycho psycho hallucinations. It was some. It was a good way to approach storytelling because this this show is a lot about. Um, uh, being stranded on a ship floating through space. You're, many people are basically islands unto themselves on board the ship. And the show, I, I think, is a lot about isolation. And, mm. you know, you could have the character turn to the camera and do kind of a Malcolm in the Middle exposition. Or you could have the two, char- two characters get together and talk about their pain, which would bring people closer together and would make them less isolated. Or you can do it this way, which is to maintain the isolation of most of the characters and still mm. reveal something about them, which I think was the best choice. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, so the source of this little creature that we have to deal with is apparently from a mission that I don't think this was a planet that we saw where no. they got these nope. ticks. It was we someplace have... that Lieutenant Scott and Lieutenant James and Airman Dunning and Volker went on because those four i think were the the original target of the original uh, carriers barnes uh didn't have one so or either that she did and it jumped onto someone else um th- you'll notice that they blew over the fact that we are in a new galaxy they they flew by that the whole void thing is over we're in a new galaxy and yeah. we're on to the next uh next set of adventures we're there, and I kind of thought this would be the Void episode because it was a bottle show, and it was dealing with... Isolation. Horrors and, and isolation and hallucinations. You know, maybe it's the Void that, that causes this, but, but no, we're apparently there already. I was thinking that we had uh, finally reached the galaxy from where no man has gone before, and, or where no one has gone before in TNG, and everyone is, is, uh, is seeing their worst fears and their, their hopes and their weaknesses, and... Yeah, now all we need is just a blue galaxy in the backdrop. This is kind of a sci-fi staple, isn't it? I think that one of our callers brings up this point. Um, we'll play that in a minute. This is a sci-fi staple that that uh, probably, if you pressed me, just about any sci-fi show I could name the episode. Yeah. Yeah, every once in a while you've got to do something like this. Because it reveals insight into the characters. Only this genre can, can do this, and you really need to... You really do need to do one of these episodes every once in a while. So let's talk about the individual characters and, and what we got to learn about them. Starting out in the big sexy teaser with Lieutenant James. Mm. Yeah, it was sexy, all right. That uh, definitely put the broom closet scene in Air Part 1 to shame, I think. Yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, you know how I feel about about this stuff. It's just that I, as a viewer, am smart enough to recognize the the tension and the relationship between Scott and James. I, I do not have to be exposed to the grunting and moaning of their consummation to get that. Rose of passion, yeah. I don't, I don't need to see that to understand it. Um, I don't, I don't like... SU being a show that I would feel uncomfortable watching with my parents. I don't like that about it. And that's the 5% of my problem with the show that I have, because 95% of it I love. I love this show. This is the part of it that I don't. Having said that, it was an extremely effective opening scene. It was very effective, yeah. It was sort of a jaw-dropper of a teaser, and I like that. She kills Um, him. He's dead. Yeah, a pool of blood basically streaming from his head after she clobbers him. And it's very effective. Uh, At the same time, it's sort of, uh, when you figure out what's going on, you know, it's it's almost like the 
the dream sequence gotcha. And that happens a few times in this episode. Oh, yeah, they, yeah if, if you've seen the teaser, you definitely feel like a gotcha. I, I remember thinking after the, the Stargate puddle sequence, which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure. I remember thinking mm-hmm. back to Season 6 of SG-1 Grace and all mm-hmm. the Sam and Jack shippers uh, just complaining after seeing Sam and Jack making out extri- like dramatically. They had put that in the teaser. Yeah, the big That kiss. was a hallucination. The big kiss in Grace, it was not only a hallucination, but it was like a hallucination within a hallucination. Mm-hmm. It was like a momentary dream inside of a hallucination. Jack's they had put even. that in their teaser, and that's why supposedly a lot of people tuned in. You know, and yeah. we'll talk about that when we get to rushes, I'm sure. So you've got this character, James, who, you know, once again, we're seeing uh, how attached she is to the lieutenant and how much this is killing her. Yeah, and I definitely like uh, that that development for her character. And, um, that, I mean, it shows you really explicitly uh, how upset she is. She's not just a jilted lover who is sad. She's not just somebody who's realized that she really likes Matt and now has lost him. She's, you know, she's got some, some anger issues going on with this. And a lot of that is set off by her hallucination. It's set off by how big of a jerk Matt is. Uh, hallucination. Well, we see her fear. We see her fear. She, he, he comes in for sex, and then immediately he says, we can't keep doing this. And she's like, yeah, now that you're done, you know, that's, that is her fear, that she is going to be played again. Yeah, and that's the other thing about the gotcha. It's not just that, that he gets killed, which obviously I think by the time you see the, the pool of blood, you realize something else is going on. Um, but it's the fact that he was there with her and apparently cheating on Chloe, and that was sort of a gotcha. Oh, he's not really. Um, not that, that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but it made me think, what if they actually did that? What if, what if Matt actually cheated on Chloe? Oh, he's scum. Went back I mean, to he her. Would be, he's, he would be such scum. You, you would have a hard time accepting this character yeah. as a hero. You know? He would basically be the, the player that, that he looked like he was by the end of this teaser. Yeah, you would want him to die. I guess he's probably the closest thing that the show has to a sort of red, white, and blue hero. Mm-hmm. Even though he's got his own issues. So let's talk about some of the other hallucinations. I, I grouped together Dr. Volker and Airman Dunning and Rush, because what I think these hallucinations all have in common is that they're phobias. They're just primal phobias. Volker's is um, claustrophobia. You know, he, he get first gets stuck in a room, and then he's, he's uh, I don't know, in what, some kind of a coffin. Yeah, that, uh, that took my breath away. When they cut to that coffin and he was inside that, that is a fear yeah. of mine. Uh, yeah. Not of confined spaces, but not being able to get out. Yeah. And that's sort of the, the visceral emotional quality of this episode, is that when they get around to hitting on your phobia, your fear, as a viewer, then you're going to start squirming. Yeah. And that was cool. For Dunning, it was snakes. He's, yeah. he's hallucinating that he's got snakes crawling into his arm. Uh, this is Dallas from Columbus, Ohio, just calling in about the uh, episode Pain. Really enjoyed this episode. I think it was a good standalone episode that uh, really uh, reminded the audience and the characters uh, just how lonely the, uh, the cast is out there in space. Uh, I really enjoyed Greer's hallucinations uh, to see how much he distrusts uh, Ray and Rush. Uh, it was really kind of fun to watch. Um, I'm getting tired of the emotional neediness of Chloe uh, without pri- providing any real value to the crew. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Quark from Deep Space Nine, uh, with the exception that she does not provide much uh, comedic relief. Um, my own little quibble is when the sergeant in the mess hall started hallucinating with the snake, it looked like that was Sergeant Spencer who was uh, uh, subduing him, and I'm pretty sure Sergeant Spencer killed himself. I thought when they said snakes that it might have been nice if they had done a little connection to the Gould. These yeah. snakes that throw inside of you, and maybe Denning yeah. had served at the SGC at some point. Yeah, it was, I was watching the episode, and I was thinking for a second, for a second we might see a symbiote. You know, I thought that that would have been a nice touch, but they didn't, they didn't go with that. Yeah, and we've seen that hallucination before, haven't we, in uh, Legacy? 
Yes. In season three of SG One, Daniel hallucinated a, a gold symbiote going into Jack. And it would not be unprecedented for one show to share uh, characters uh, who had experienced uh, combat with with other, like the Super Soldier. Uh, we saw him in uh, a season three episode of Atlantis. So that's that's what I was kind of expecting, but didn't happen. Did we? Mm-hmm. What episode was he in? That was in Phantoms. Oh, in Phantoms. And then Dr. Rush hallucinates first that he is, uh, before we get to the aliens, uh, the, the primal phobia thing is that he's, again, in a confined space, in a confined space that is being filled with water. I... Which does connect to the aliens and to his, his uh, abduction experience. I don't think that this is a phobia at all, Darren. I think that, I think that this just has to do with his, um, his aversion to this race. Uh, I was thinking originally that yeah oh another phobia another confined phobia but he's being put back into the tank that he was that he was yeah. suspended in that is yeah what but the horror of it is is being filled with water and and his horror I think is not just I've been caught by the aliens again but yeah it's it's the it's the fear of drowning which is which is mine probably that would be my worst mm-hmm. way to go that particular moment wasn't achieved for me I didn't really understand what was going on. Until the audio cue, as soon as he's um, released from it, you hear, and he and he turns and finds himself in an empty space again. You hear the growl of one of the aliens. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's it's the aliens. That's what it is. Yeah, that's really uh, what it's I, about. I had to back up and listen for it, and it's like, oh, it, it is it is one of them. So. so now, what do you think of him uh, playing hide and go seek on the ship with uh, hallucinated aliens? Well, it it answers some questions. It says that he is not involved with them in any way to get them on the ship. A, because that sequence of them going through the Stargate is an hallucination. And B, yeah. so so we've kind of been gotcha there. And, and B, Yeah, he, it kind of blows my theory out of the water. He fears them and is in no way working with them. I think we can we can definitively say that now. Uh, going yeah, back unless to he's sh- maybe a sleeper agent and doesn't know it. That That could be. That could absolutely be. But I don't know where they're going to take that story now since we've seen all the footage with the aliens. I don't know what's going to happen with that next. Um, yeah, and the MGM trailer certainly gotcha. Mm-hmm. With that, showing that shot of the aliens coming through the gate onto Destiny. That's the problem with the trailers. Gonna, I thought that that was going to be part of the, the, the finale. season finale. Yeah. I thought so. Um, we know that there is somebody else coming up uh, uh onto the ship, but I thought the aliens were going to be involved, and... I didn't know how that was going to fit, but now we know. It doesn't. (laughs) Yep, yep. They got you, for for good or for ill. It is a cool shot. It was a cool shot, and I got a lot of screen caps of it to share. Where'd Rush's tick go? This is is a question that I have, is uh, maybe we can... I don't know if you want to save this for quibbles or not, but I'm trying to count ticks. We've got Scots, which seem to jump onto Chloe. Uh, we've got Volkers and Dunnings and... What's her face? The gal. I, she never had one. I was wondering if it happened with... if uh, That was for Rush. If that's what mm. happened with Rush. Uh, but they say yeah. that... Uh, TJ James. says that multiple ticks could have come through the Stargate. Yeah. So I'm wondering yeah, if there are more running around writing, the ship. Riding on your uniform. And one found its way to Rush and one found its way to Greer. Mm-hmm even though they didn't go on the mission. And it can't just attach itself to you anywhere. It has to attach itself near the brainstem, um, where it releases the yeah. toxin and makes you do things. We'd already seen that, that James' tick was active, and Matt's tick was active, and, and I think Chloe's tick was active. She got, she got Matt's. Um, no STD jokes, please. But where did Rush's go if he got it from somebody else? I mean, there's. Uh, are we to presume that that his gets taken care of at the end? I guess that's what's going on. That's the idea. Yeah. Because he's still hallucinating at the very end when he yeah. attacks, when he attacks Matt and the the people yeah. who come in to save them. And that was a fun beat. You think it's over and it's not. It bangs them yeah. in the head. <laughs> Rush is swinging that thing. Okay, so how about Matt's hallucination? Sad, very sad. Matt's and Chloe's. I um. The son that he never knew. That got got the heartstrings pulling. Um, so the problem with doing a lot of these, a lot of these stories of connecting the characters with people back on Earth is that the, it can, those stories can never be resolved unless they do get home. Or mm. the, the individual characters get home or the show ends. 
And this is one that's going to be dangling for a long time. This, he is, this kid, he feels he has abandoned. And, you know, he can't, he can't tell him who he is. He can't tell him that he loves him. And it's really sad. Yeah, and up until life uh, earlier in the season, which would have been a few months ago for Matt, he didn't know that this kid existed. He ended the relationship with uh, with with Matt's mom, young Matt's mom, and and never knew that, that she had her baby. He thought she had an abortion. Mm-hmm. So this is this is sticking with him, and we see he's uh, he's starting to to try and process and cope with this yeah. issue at the end of life. And it's obviously still front and center in his psyche here. And then, you know what? I I don't watch trailers. I don't I do not do any of that. I try not to watch the opening credits, and then my my eye gets drawn to Christopher McDonald. I'm like, oh, yeah. damn. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be surprised. Yeah, he was in the trailer. You see, oh, well, see, I'm glad I didn't see it. You see the shot of him in the cockpit. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, we're going to see his corpse. And he's fine. He's back mm. to normal. Um, what a great return up here. I was delighted to see. I, didn't ever th- I never thought we would see him again. And I was, I was delighted yeah. to see him back. I was very happy. And I thought that in air, he was, other than his big heroic sacrifice. He's a little uh, bit of a stick in the mud. Yeah, he's kind of, a, kind of a jerk. I didn't really like his <laughs> character. Uh, but no, in this one, he's really... Nice. I mean, it's just he's dealing. He's he's dealing with his daughter. He's, he's yeah. not really there. He doesn't have to deal with the circumstances or Colonel Young or Rush. He's just dealing with his daughter, and he's really just sort of sweet and nice. Yeah. I think it was a much much better version of that character. I find myself um, sticking with Chloe on this one. You know, you uh, she did not have a really a chance to say goodbye to him. She now has a chance to. She knows that he's not real. She knows that it's not his soul that she's talking to. I think she recognizes that it's herself. And if she has a ch- this chance to settle things with herself, yeah, she get may a little be able closure. to move on better and, and have closure. But when she comes to the conclusion that it must be separated, she, there, that's a, there's a great couple minutes where she gets to say goodbye. And um, really touching. Yeah, I thought it was really sweet. And this is a great move on on behalf of the writer, I think. Um, this Carl episode Binder. was written by, by Carl Binder. And uh, what you could have done is you could have just made this a horror episode. Yeah. You could say, let's go deep and dark and, and psycho with with all of the main characters, with a bunch of characters. Um, kind of like we did in Doppelganger in Atlantis. Uh, but he didn't. Chloe's hallucination is actually really nice, and it ends up being a good thing for her. Yeah. Yeah, the Which episode's called Pain, take. not called Horror or Elm Street or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, we've got characters like Volker and James in this, and it's not just all the main characters. I like both of those decisions. Hi, this is Avi from Chicago. Um, talking about uh, this week's episode of Pain, um, I like the fact that we're using a classic uh, sci-fi idea of what happens when we're controlled by our fears and emotions, and those fears and emotions are beyond what in our head, and they, and they affect other people. Uh, I think they did it really well. I think it also showed that they could do an episode which didn't have a direct impact on the overall story arc, but still fit in. But my only quibble with the episode was the title. I don't really think that pain had much to do with the episode. It would have been better to have titled it Fear or Motion or something slightly more to do with the mind than Pain. I didn't see Pain in the episode. I saw more of a fear of, more of, more, you know, of, of letting things go um, and phobias than an actual Pain. I would have reserved Pain for more of a torture type of uh, episode. Good old Greer. This one was a little bit harder to to figure out to map out when it was a hallucination it wasn't when it wasn't and I think I got it on the second yeah. viewing and um, you know, Riley has the beat near the beginning of the episode where he says you know I always felt that he would be the first to crack and I got myself thinking about Spencer you know you know where Spencer right. was kind of the anomaly on the show where we didn't really know uh, what he was capable of and now Greer is you know Greer it can he 
if the, the the right circumstances come together, he can be dangerous. And this is what it is, you know. One, this guy, yeah. you know, is it can be a walking nightmare. And the beat about his father, of his father showing up, then bringing that actor in was fantastic. You know, the, mm -hmm. the connective tissue of these shows is really showing through. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to see his dad again and uh, bring that uh, that actor back. Mm -hmm. um, nice little, I mean, it lasts for 10 seconds. Nice little little connected tissue with the mm -hmm. rest of the season. He's, um, I mean, I think I figured this out. I've only seen the episode one time so far, but I think the tell that the, the, the producers and, and maybe I don't know whose decision it was, the director, uh, gave us was Camille. Greer is dealing with different versions of Camille. He's dealing with the real Camille, and he's dealing with his imagined Camille. And I think there's a fake rush in there. Camille in particular, when she's got her reddish magenta shirt on, that's the hallucinated Camille, the one who turns back over her shoulder and smiles at him slyly, like, I'm up to something and you're not going to be able to stop me. Yeah. Um, the Camille with the blue shirt on is the real Camille who's saying, you know, what the heck are you doing? You're going to young and telling lies about me. And when it's I, I the way that I looked at it was whoever was predominantly the one the the focused character of the scene was the one that was doing the hallucinating like rush when the shadow goes by it's an alien but he's thinking that it's it's Greer because you know that's that information has been given to him uh, and, yeah and Ray you know is Ray when she is the focused character in that scene but when it's Greer generally speaking. Um, he's hallucinating. Even when he's sitting at the table with, with all the others and, and Rush and Camille are in the corner together working on like some kind of a plan, a scheme on a clipboard. You know, you mm -hmm. can see it writing out, and then we'll take the ship from this point, and, and then you'll go over here and take this area of the ship. You know, that's, that's the hallucination. <laughs> Don't let my clipboard fall into the wrong hands because our <laughs> entire plan has been written out on it with diagrams. Yeah, it's kind of Greer's POV, and I was wondering and kind of hoping a little bit that, that the director might be faking us out in, in uh, showing us Greer and, uh, and then taking, taking uh, Camille captive, and then maybe we figure out at the end that it's actually Camille who's the one hallucinating and Greer's the one who's not real. Mm. I thought that would have been cool. Yeah, but a, a, fix, a, a fake character cannot have, or, or a non-existent character, you cannot see their point of view at any time you know there's little telltale signs you know they've done they did a couple of things on atlantis where you know we thought that zelenka was real in the remnants episode for instance and it turned out rod right. was making him up the entire time now so they do play with you every once in a while but in this one it's just pretty much straight pov of the uh, of the the ticked characters the right. ticked off ticked. the ticked off guys <laughs> well the one thing about greer that really shocks me um you talked about the fact that he's dangerous, and I think that this is the most significant thing that we can take away from this episode, is that Greer is actually capable of this. Camille doesn't hallucinate what he does to her. He really doesn't. Mm -mm. And, uh, you know, Rush has this, uh, this thing with the aliens and ends up, what he thinks is stabbing one of them. Yeah, he stabs Camille. That was out of left field. So, you know, you can kind of understand Rush would... If Rush saw these things and they were real, he would really act this way. He would really yeah. respond this way. Yeah, he's done uh, it before. Yeah, but but I mean Greer. This is this is sort of the major character development of this episode, I think. With with some of the other hallucinations, you know, with Matt following his son around, kind of nothing really happened. His character didn't get moved forward much farther than it was at the end of life with respect to his son. But with Greer, we now know that. You know, he is is this. Uh, yeah, he is one button push away from psychotic. Time. Yeah, he is. He is one button push away. Exactly right. Uh, and he's got this fear that that they they're going to try and do this again. Basically, my point is he's capable of actually doing this yeah. under the right circumstances. Yeah, yeah, and that's you the know, scary his, thing. His response, like permission to use deadly force, and uh, at some point we're just going to have to end this. You know, threatening to, to basically kill Camille uh, because the interrogation is not going well. And he's convinced that she's, uh, she's plotting to take over the ship. He's actually it, capable of doing this. The ticks don't appear to make 
anyone any less lucid. They appear to only allow people to execute what they want to execute and do what they want to do. They don't alter their perceptions other than, you know, the external stimuli, the things that are happening to them. So whatever Greer does, it is Greer doing it. And yep. it's scary stuff, you know, and, and the, in the montage at the end, you know, I think he nods to Camille as she walks by. I think there's that there's a pang of regret of him doing this. You know, he's mm. crossed a line and, you know, he, you know, he was wrong. And what, what, uh, man, dangerous stuff. I would be terrified of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. If you're non-military, be careful. Because you can blame the tech for creating the circumstances of convincing him that there is another another coup in the works. You can't blame the tick for what he did. Yeah. Hi, guys. This is Thomas Ronterio. I'm just calling. I had mixed feelings on this episode. I was kind of let down because after seeing that shot of the aliens walking through the gate, the mysterious blue aliens that we have known nothing about, I was hoping we'd get to learn something new about them. But it turns out it was just a product of Rush's deranged mind. Who knew? But what I really liked was the animation level, the way they were able to completely... Um, when Rush was hallucinating to see the aliens, it looked so menacing. Like, it scared the crap out of me. I didn't know that these little blue aliens that kind of resemble fish and birds could look so freaky. Also, I think we also learned a lot more about Greer, which I thought was very interesting. Well, the episode ends with, uh, we've dropped out of FTL, reached another planet, the Stargate's dialed up, Young goes to the gate room, and there's this momentary question of uh, what are we going to do? We've got you know, 11 hours and stable environment. Are we going to send the team through again? Are we going to risk this stuff continuing to happen when we don't really need to? We're not out here to explore. We're trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Are we going to keep putting our, our not only the people who go off-world but the entire ship and the crew at risk? Mm-hmm. And Young ultimately decides, yeah, this is this is who we are. We're going to keep do. doing this. I thought for a second there he might say, "No, it's not worth it. Let's just keep going." Yeah. Uh, but then yeah. that would have ended great, <laughs> a lot of the show. Yeah. It was a great little little uh, little question, little little beat to end the show with. I like that. And Riley's little little jab. Bring your uh, make sure we got bug spray this time. Yep. There's this this. Uh, I, I felt kind of a tension in the in the questioning between Rush and Young as to are we going to continue to do this, and Riley just throws out this flip comment that that cuts through the tension like a knife through butter. Yep. Gotta like Riley. Well, you know, yeah, absolutely. And and Young says it. You know, our luck has got to change at some point. <laughs> that we've got to find a planet somewhere that's going to help us out. This galaxy had better not be full of ticks. I suspect that they'll never go back to it again, but I'm wondering if a couple of them may be crawling around the deck plates somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or worse, breeding. You know, that would be bad. Everyone wakes up one morning and they discover that they've got a tip. It's time for quibbles. The animal venom is really becoming a deus ex machina. You know, we can, yeah, we're getting I, a lot of mileage out of that stuff, aren't we? I was thinking, we, we can apply it to anything, and it'll solve all our problems. All TJ needs to do is take a, is take a tube of it, apply it to the Stargate, and damn, we'll be able to <laughs> dial back to Earth. We can dial home. It has gone too far, man. They need to get rid of this stuff. Well, I don't think it's gone too far because it only has one function. It hasn't been given multiple magic properties it's yet. It's an anesthesia, it's... but I, mean, I, I, was, I couldn't believe it. They, they apply it to the tick, they wait 10 seconds, and they pop it off and problem solved. It's like, oh, man. Yeah, well, it shows you that the, the, the ticks are, are actually just bugs. Yeah. So we used it on Rush uh, to, to keep him under during his surgery in Divided. And we can, we can put it on these little bugs, and, and I mean, they're not... I mean, they're, they're just insects, basically. We've they're used not it a couple of other times, psycho too. Aliens. We've used it other times? Yeah, we have. I can't think of it specifically, but we've used it before. They've mentioned it in passing, and that's, that's what really got to me. It's like, okay, we need to get rid of this stuff now. It's been really helpful, but we need something else. Well, it's inevitable that we're going to run out of it. We'll see. We haven't seemed to run out of medical supplies yet. I'm waiting for that episode. She injects Volker to, to put him back under. And poor the poor guy! The, you, you strap him in. You know, you, granted, you don't know what his, what his problem <laughs> yeah, is, the but guy he's who's... like, get me out of these things. And Let's strap him down. Him. And that's something that you can really put aside if you really didn't want to deal with again. Yeah, that's sort of the Voyager shuttlecraft issue, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
here's my quibble, and it's not a nitpick at the episode as much as it's, uh, I wish the writers would have given us this bit of information. Uh, we all kind of expected after the end of Sabotage last week that we're going into the void. It takes a while to get across a yes. void. Uh, takes Daedalus two and a half weeks, I think. I looked it up and it's 18 days to, to cross the void. Um, so we might get an episode in the void. Uh, my, my quibble question is how much time has passed since the end of that episode? How long did it take us to cross the void? Because apparently when this episode begins... We've already been in the new galaxy yep. and already visited at least one planet yep. because presumably the mission that they went on when they picked up these ticks was in this new galaxy that we've just reached. Um, Chloe has a line at one point when they discover the tick where, where she says, welcome to our new galaxy. That's what it you is. Know, is. Is this what we're in for? Uh, so I want to know how long it took because I'm a, I'm a tech nerd and, and we think that FTL is slower than hyperspace travel. This is uh, I want to know how long it took to get across the void. Has it been a month since the end of Sabotage? Has it been three months? The only indicator, in my opinion, is that TJ is plump. Um, she is hefty, man. She looks like she is... I mean, she looks like when her timer of, is almost at zero. Yeah, her, her pregnancy, she seems to be... Well, we, got a, we got a week count a few episodes ago. Yeah. Didn't we? When, she, when she told Young she was... Yeah. But 20-plus weeks. So she's obviously progressed far, uh, a bit farther in her pregnancy. I would guess it's been several weeks. I would guess that it took them... You know, if, if uh, Daedalus' hyperspace engines are that efficient and can get them across the spans between galaxies in 18 days, I guess the question is, is the distance between two galaxies roughly the same in every case? Is there a small void a large void. When we're ready to leave this galaxy, who knows what's going to happen. They, they may bypass it from now on. Like, you know, we don't keep track of when Destiny recharges. And apparently it recharges a, 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 good, a good deal often. So we may be hopping galaxies from now on without ever knowing it. Mm. I hope not, though. I, I hope that it's an event before we cross everyone. But also that may be tedious. Like, you know, the Wraith are coming to Atlantis again. Oh, my God, let's turn the cloaking device on. Um, yeah. But uh, who knows? Who knows how we'll... It'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Well, that's just about everything we have to say about pain this week. For full coverage of this episode, head over to GateWorld.net, and you can find our screen capture gallery, transcript, episode summary, and more, and talk about this episode at GateWorld Forum. And we have a bit more listener mail to get into this week. Hi there, this is Sam from Kansas City, and this is my first time calling in. Um, I just listened to your podcast for the SGU episode, Lost, and I have a quibble with one of your quibbles. I have one in regards to uh, the Stargates on the planet and wondering why they aren't greater overgrown. It sounds like you're assuming the Stargates have been on the planets for millions of years, um, but I don't think that's the case. The Cedar ships would have been sent out shortly before Destiny started its journey, and it would have also taken them millions of years to reach that part of the universe, especially considering they were stopping to build and place those stargates along the way. I think maybe the stargates we are seeing uh, may well have only been on the planets for a few years or maybe even just months before the destiny arrives. I'm enjoying listening to your podcast and looking forward to more. Thanks. This is a good point about one of your quibbles, and we also got an email on this from uh, user Mind Games. Uh, basically saying these stargates that are on all these planets have not necessarily been there for millions and millions of years, um, but only as long as the Cedar ships are ahead of Destiny. Maybe a they're a point. few weeks ahead of Destiny. Maybe they're, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 years. But it's only that, that time between the Cedar ship plunks it down and Destiny gets there following up. That's a good point. I was making the assumption that the Cedar ships were launched millions of years and then Destiny was launched. Oh, I'm thinking of the episode um, um, Faith. You know, when the Cedar ship scanned that system, there was no star there, and now there is a star there. So it has to mm -hmm. have been a little while. A little while. It's probably not days. It's probably not days. The star and the planet. Don't forget the planet. Yeah. Hey, guys. It's Colonel T from Montreal, Canada. And I just want to weigh in on the issue of relative speeds of subspace and FTL. In mathematical terms, a subspace is a subset of the real space. So when the Daedalus travels in subspace, it is not traveling through the real space. 
That is, it cannot crash into anything because it is not in physical space-time. That's why it has to open the hyperspace window to travel. That window is analogous to the event horizon of a wormhole because the ship enters a different space-time for the duration of the trip. This means it can go faster because it doesn't physically travel every inch of space between destinations, just like SG-1 doesn't physically travel every inch when they go through the gate. FTL, on the other hand, is slower because the destiny actually travels every inch along the trip. It's just going really fast. And to compare, the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy, is 100,000 light years across. So in terms of these distances, the speed of light is actually quite slow. The destiny is obviously going faster than the speed of light, FTL after all, but it isn't going as fast as it would if it were in subspace. This makes sense because FTL travel is slower, and it predates hyperspace travel. So it would make sense that the ancients would develop technology that is an improvement on a pre-existing one, and not merely its equal. I hope this all makes sense to you guys, and I'm really enjoying the second half of this season, as well as GateWorld's coverage of it. Thanks, Colonel T, for your voicemail. This is an interesting one, I think, uh, ex would explain a lot of the difference between the speed of hyperspace travel and the speed of FTL travel is they function very differently. In hyperspace, you're, I think in the Stargate universe, you're basically going through subspace. You're not crossing the physical distance. Um, same, same way that wormholes work with Stargates. You're not crossing the physical distance from point A to point B. FTL uh, it could be slower because it's, you're actually covering that distance. Uh, Colonel T says you're actually going every inch of, of the space between point A and point B. You're not entering into, like, a subspace. How does that sound explain why Destiny appears so young, but it would not explain the time dilation, the, the lack of a time dilation problem when they, when they uh, plug into the communication stones and talk at home to Earth. You know, people aren't moving extremely slowly when they come through. I'm thinking of the return part one, because they were not traveling in subspace. They were traveling in real space, and it took them a really long time. There's a time dilation there. The faster you go, the slower things are around you the slower you appear to everything else. Yeah, and that's relativity, and I'm not sure how much we can hold on to relativity in the Stargate universe. In the case of, of the ancient ship in the return, maybe it's because they were not quite going light speed. Mm -hmm. They were going 0.999% of light speed. Maybe yeah. once you're actually faster than light, then relativity is, is not necessarily an issue. There are a couple of, of technical issues with Stargate. In, in one episode, it's defined as one thing, and another episode is defined as another. I mean, sometimes the Stargate's locked with points in space, and other times it's like it's a cell phone number. And it's mm -hmm. never consistent from episode to episode. It's whatever the plot needs that week in order to work. Yeah, and by the end of SG-1, um, we could take Stargates off of planets and take them and plunk them down on other planets, like Ball was stealing a bunch of gates and, and using them to create his own little... Mm -hmm. little personal mm -hmm. Stargate network. Um, you didn't I think need to dial the address system. of the planet where a Stargate used to have been there. You just need to dial that specific Stargate's address, and it knows where to find it. I would guess that the, the way that that works is every Stargate sort of has its own phone number, and the phone number of the Stargate doesn't change just because you move it to a different part of the galaxy. But that doesn't jive with the way that gate travel was originally explained with exactly. six points in the movie. It's a quibble. Hi, it's Rob from Ohio. I wanted to bring up something you haven't really discussed on the podcast, and that is the online Kino episodes. I'm wondering what your opinion of them is, given that they sometimes show scenes and information some fans seem to want, particularly the latest Kino 25 episode showing Scott and Greer discussing how he left him on the planet when he thought Greer was dead. Thanks, and I'm uh, loving the podcast. What's your opinion of online Kino episodes? Have you watched them all? Have you caught up with the new ones, David? Especially you know, this uh, number 25, the scene between Scott and Greer, which follows up on, on Greer being left behind. You know, this, the Kino episodes, you know, I go to Stargate.MGM.com to look at the, the Kino episodes, and I go to the gallery, and they're all out of sequence. So yeah. I don't know which ones I've seen and which ones I haven't. And I, I, I'm thinking I've seen half of them, but they're not organized well at all. And if I catch it, I'll catch it. Having said that, I think GateWorld needs to file them. I think we need to have a Kino I have section. Them. You have. Yeah. yeah, I can start linking in the episode guide to those that deal with specific episodes, uh, like the the little follow up to time. 
Uh, that'd be good to list on, on that page. If well, it's I'm, not already there, I might I'm wear it. I'm thinking when you go to episode Stargate Universe, there needs to be season one, season two, and Kino. Um, Kino, yeah. I don't think that each one should have necessarily its own landing page. Maybe so. But or listed under season one. Exactly. The season one Kino. So that I can see them in sequence, otherwise, and not yeah, have to we go did to solutions. A, we did a news item uh, in between the season where I did go through and catalog in order... Uh, with all the titles of the Kino episodes, uh, however many had been released up until that point, I think around 20, give or take. Um, so those are all in order, and the ones that are on YouTube are embedded, so you can watch them right there on that page. A few of them link over to stargate.mgm.com, which I think is the only place to view them right now. Um, I do watch all the online Kinos when I can find them. Uh, some of the new ones look like MGM is farming them out to other sites, uh, giving them as exclusives oh, no. <laughs> uh, for, for promotion to other sites. I think they'll show up on the official site at some point. But I went to look for the Scott and Greer one on the official site, and I couldn't find it. Um, I did watch it last week on whatever site it was, it was given to. And um, I liked it. It's not the sort of scene that I would want in an episode. I thought it was... Uh, in terms of military uh, and guys who are, are really close friends serving in the military together, it was a beautiful little scene. Uh, at the same time, Greer was a little, a little vulnerable, a lot more than, than we're used to seeing him on the show. He's, he's kind of touchy-feely in this one a lot. But uh, it was nice to see, and it was nice to see his, his, uh, his reaction to being left behind. Do, and it's not cut and dry. Do they know it's, that they're being recorded? Do the characters know? Yeah. In this case, I would guess that Greer did not know that there was a... I think, I think it actually starts with the keynote spotting them in the hallway and then zooming in. So I don't yeah. think... Yeah, it's yeah, one of the things I don't, I don't buy about that. You know, I would not use that thing to record diaries unless I absolutely knew that Dr. Rush would not... or Eli would not be looking at them later. It, yeah. They haven't really clarified that very well as to who has access to that data and what can they do with it. Yeah, and having them constantly roaming the corridors and catching moments like this is uh, yeah, it's great for the, for the web videos, but it's a bit voyeuristic for those poor characters. Hi, GateWorld. This is Ellen from Minnesota, and I'm calling about the Stargate Universe Sabotage episode. I just watched it again, and um, first of all, I thought I should tell you that I started watching this series without ever seeing any of the other Stargate series before. In fact, I'd been a little turned off from ever watching them because of the number of episodes and series out there. It seemed like it was on all the time. But I'm a big fan of Robert Carlyle, so when I heard he was in this new series, I started watching, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I have a few questions about this last episode, however. I was really thought this whole dialing wormhole business where they couldn't tell who was coming in and um, who would be on the other side of the gate was pretty amazing. I mean, it's like this is a giant technology, millions of years old, and they don't know who is there. It's like, where's the people on the front door? Um, also, I was also wondering, like, does everyone have shipwide access to all the technology? I thought there was probably going to be more security after the attempted takeover in a couple of episodes back, and um, I just thought, gee, why didn't they have a few locks on some of those doors? Anyway, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of Nicholas Rush and seeing what's going on in the next episode. Thanks. Hey, Ellen. Thanks for your call. I'm at the editing stage of the podcast right now, and you just got your phone message in under the wire, and I wanted to go ahead and uh, and... Uh, respond to you. First of all, I'm absolutely delighted that uh, the podcast is continually reaching out to brand new Stargate viewers. New incarnations of Stargate always present the opportunity to make new friends. For SG-1 and Atlantis, both of the Stargates had some kind of shielding, which uh, prevented people from openly getting through unless they could uh, present a code or some kind of a combination or a radio message, which would unlock the shield or the iris uh, for SG-1, for example. So you're right, they should have personnel in the gate room uh, monitoring it, but you know, as far as they know on the Destiny, no one in the universe has any way of accessing the ship and getting through the gate anyway, so not even the uh, the blue fish aliens have a way of getting through. If, if they did, like um, Payne just suggested in Rush's dream, we'd be in trouble. 
um, but someone else may be coming to visit the ship at some point in the future. In addition, you have another great comment. There should be, you, you think that there would be personnel monitoring the more sensitive areas of the ship, like the Apple core, the uh, control interface room. But um, yeah, that, that's a good point. Hi guys, this is Michael from Slidell, Louisiana. Uh, I know I'm a little late calling for comments about sabotage, but Hulu's on an eight-day delay now, and that's how I watch the episodes. But I had a theory about the stones in relation to Lieutenant James. You guys mentioned then on the podcast that perhaps she was actually contacted by Destiny rather than the other aliens. I was thinking that perhaps Franklin was actually still partly joined with Destiny, and that's why he was catatonic and maybe he was the one that contacted her through the stone. There seems to be a very unusual connection between the two of them after the event, uh, where she's feeding him and she's studying him, and, and they seem to be all of a sudden rather close. So that perhaps that's because he was the one that swapped places with her. You are listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Turning to this Friday on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. and Space up there in Canada. We'll be watching Subversion on Friday night. This is the last regular episode before we hit the two-part season finale. Subversion airs Friday, and so we'll be talking about that next week on the podcast on May 26th. And then remember, Sci-Fi Channel is taking a week off. There's no new episode Memorial Day weekend. Uh, And I think that's going to hold for uh, space as well. And I think that this is why... Uh, Sky One here in the UK is a week off because now they're going to have a week to catch up for the rest of the season. They're going to be just like four days behind instead of a week and a half behind. There you go. So we'll have a week off in in the June 2nd installment of the podcast. That off week, we're going to have open line night. That'll be your chance to call in and ask us anything you want. Uh, Stargate related SGU, SG1 Atlantis. Uh, or, or just uh, shoot the breeze about science fiction. Tell us what you're thinking about and what you want to hear David and I talk about. Boxes or briefs? No. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> and that's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in. You can give us a call on the feedback hotline and tell us what you thought of Subversion this week. 951-262-1647. Give us a call day or night. You can also email a brief audio recording to webmaster at gateworld.net, and you can head over to Gateworld Forum and post on the podcast feedback thread. Now, once again, if you heard us talk about anything and you thought, what the heck are those guys talking about? What was that episode? Who are those guys? You can find links to everything on the show notes for episode 90, Pain, at gateworld.net. Darren goes through and finds anything that's a proper noun in the show and then puts it in order. In the order of the discussion. Do people even use that, do you think? I've used it once or twice. But yeah, I would like to hear from somebody who said, I just started watching SGU. I've never seen the other shows. You mentioned something about uh, John Shepard. So I went and found it and clicked on it, and I learned who John Shepard is. Show notes saved the life of my child. And if only... We could change one life at a time Thank show you, notes. show notes. <laughs> <sighs> From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. Get out of here. And come back next week for more of the podcast. <laughs>